Hello everyone, I am Father Brett Brannan here at the Pontifical College Josephinum in Columbus, Ohio. This is the second conference of our vocation retreat for young men discerning priesthood and sponsored by the Sister Servants from Casa Maria Retreat Center in Birmingham, Alabama. So I want to begin today by uh, praying together with you the prayer of abandonment of Charles de Foucault. It's a wonderful prayer for men discerning priesthood or any person discerning the will of God. And uh, it's just a prayer that will just really help us to, to lay our lives before Jesus and to do whatever he tells us. So I encourage you to get a copy of this prayer, Prayer of Abandonment, Charles de Foucault, and uh, I encourage you to start to not just read it or say it every day, but to really try to pray it, to really try to mean it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. I wish no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart. For I love you, Lord, and so need to give myself, to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence, for you are my Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So yesterday, or in our first conference, we talked about uh, the, um, the, what a vocation is in general, the primary vocation of holiness to become a saint, which we don't have to discern. We know that's God's plan for us. And then, of course, our individual vocation, we have to discern what does God want me to do? How does he want me to become holy? And, of course, our best chance to become a saint is in our correct God-predetermined vocation. Yes, this is not just your decision. What do you want to do? God has a plan for you. And our job is to seek it. And that requires a lot of prayer and a lot of suffering and a lot of searching and making some wrong turns and the Lord brings us back. But if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, especially in the Holy Eucharist, and we pray faithfully, He's not going to let us make a mistake. Young men will say to me, Oh, Father, I'm so afraid I'm going to make the wrong decision. Fear is from the devil. If you really trust in Jesus, you keep your eyes fixed on Him, Perfect love cast out all fear. God loves you too much. He's not going to let you make that mistake. If you seek Him sincerely, if you pray, if you listen, and we're going to talk about some of the things on this retreat we can do to, uh, to help us um, uh, make that discernment correctly. I want to encourage you today to say your rosary for the five priests in your life. What does that mean? Well, I want you to pray the first decade of your rosary for the priest who baptized you. 
Now, whether you remember his name, whether you ever knew it, or whether wherever it was, even if he's already dead in heaven, pray that decade thanking God for his priesthood. Because he was a priest, you became a child of God, and the Holy Spirit moved into, and the Holy Trinity moved into your soul. So he gave you eternal life. So thank God for the gift of that priest and his priesthood. The second decade today, I want you to pray for the priest who heard your first confession and first gave you your first Holy Communion. Often that's the same. But either way, just pray that for that priest who gave you the body and blood of Jesus Christ for the first time and made you one with God, not just in soul, but also in body when you received Holy Communion. The third for the bishop who gave you the sacrament of confirmation. I want you to say the fourth decade for the bishop or priest who will ordain you a priest or if you are called to marriage or some other vocation who will witness your marriage vows. And finally, the fifth decade, I want you to pray for the priest or bishop who will bury you when you die. Typically, priests are buried by their bishops. He's the main celebrant when they die. But um, I want you just to pray that decade for whatever priest or bishop buries you. As you can see, the purpose of this exercise is to remember the profound influence spiritually priests have on God's people. They begin us with eternal life and they bring us to that step when we close our eyes and open them again and we see God, Jesus Christ, face to face. Many years ago, I was um, hearing confessions in a college town and every priest will has many, many stories of um, just very inter interesting things that happen of course, confession, as far as sins are concerned, is absolutely uh, the seal of confession is inviolable. We never mention the sins, right, of individual person in any way. But um, this person, we've, we've all heard thousands of confessions that would be, especially of young people, Father, I'm away from, I've been away from the church since I came to college. I miss Jesus Christ. I love him. I'm sick and tired of sin. I want him back in my life. This is what a young woman said one day. And um, very beautiful the way she put it. I'm sick and tired of sin. I want Jesus back in my life. Very sincere. After she finished um, her confession and I gave her absolution, um, I remember she stopped at the door of the confessional and she looked back and she just said, Father, thank you so much. I feel so clean. I feel wonderful. And of course, I said very piously, well, you're welcome. But remember, it's Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. He's the one who poured out his blood so that our sins can be forgiven. He's the one who gave us this sacrament. And she stopped and she looked at me and she said, Father, I know that's true. And I believe in Jesus Christ and I trust him. She said, but right now, I can't see Jesus Christ. I can just see you. And I thought to, my, to myself, that is the best illustration of in persona Christi Capitis Ecclesia I have ever seen. 
in Persona Christi Capitis, we'll talk about that today, in the person of Christ, the head of the church. A priest forgives sins, but it's Jesus who forgives sins through the priest. And that's why it's always effective, whether the priest is holy or not holy, he's in a state of sin or he's a, a great saint. If he says those words of absolution, her sins are forgiven because of Jesus. That's why St. Augustine said, when, G when Peter baptizes, Jesus baptizes. When Judas baptizes, Jesus baptizes. Making the point that whether you're holy or a sinner, if you're a priest, God's grace pours through you for the sake of his people. And we're going to talk a little bit about today what is a priest. We're talking about what do priests do. And then we're going to talk about what is a priest at the level of um, ontological level, at the, at the level of the, of the soul, what happens to a priest when he's ordained. So, first of all, what do priests do? The first duty of a priest is to pray. That is our prayer, to pray for God's people. And we promise at our ordination to pray the liturgy of the hours, the breviary, which we will pray five times a day praying for God's people, for the whole world with other millions and millions of people, religious sisters and brothers and lay people all over the world who choose to pray the divine office. But priests promise to pray it. It's a sin if we don't. We confess it because our first duty is to pray for God's people. Now we pray that. We pray, of course, the Holy Mass is the greatest of all prayers, and a priest tries to pray every Mass every single day and the sacrifice of Christ. And most priests we teach in our seminaries today try to pray for at least one hour per day, a holy hour, before the Blessed Sacrament, if possible, especially because by spending that one hour in silence with Jesus, it basically defines the other 23. It changes everything. It keeps us focused on Christ. It makes us remember this all about Jesus is not about me. The purpose of a priest is to bring people to Jesus and Jesus to people. And people love their priest. People are so good to their priest. But the reason they love their priest is because priests bring them Jesus, and the people of God know it as the sensus fidelium, the sense of the faith in God's people. They love their priest because, you know, I love um, uh, uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen's uh, image of, um, you know, talks about when Jesus is, is riding a donkey you know, into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and the people are breaking the palms, and they're hosanna to the king, and they're kneeling, they're laying their cloaks on the ground for his donkey to come through. And Archbishop Sheen says, you know, he says, you know, the stupid jackass thinks they're clapping for him. Of course, it's Jesus they want. And sometimes we priests can be that way because people love us because of what we do for them. The first thing we do for God's people is we pray for them. We stand in the gap, and people believe in the power of their priest prayers, don't they? Father, please pray for me. My grandmother's going to have uh, can uh, has cancer, going to have surgery. Father, please pray for my son. He's not coming to Mass. You know, and, and I'll say to them, okay, I'll certainly pray for you, but you pray as well. Oh, no, no, Father, your prayers are powerful. You're a priest. You know what? That person's right. The prayers of a priest are powerful because we are basically ordained to do this. And God hears our prayers 
for his people. My spiritual writer would go so far as to say, if you don't make that holy, your holy hour every day, if you're not praying your divine office, don't accept your salary. I'm like, what? He said, well, think about it. You're a pastor. He said, or you have been a pastor. He said, if you hire someone and say your first duty is X, and they don't do X, should they be paid? He said, well, that's a good way to think about it. The first duty of a priest is to pray, not to work. Pray for God's people. Many years ago, I had to have an emergency uh, laparoscopic appendectomy. I went to the hospital about midnight with pains. Uh, they did the, um, the test, and they said, Father, your textbook case, you have every symptom. Your appendix has to come out right now. And so I said, all right. And so they called the, the surgeon who was on call, and it was about 1 o'clock in the morning when he arrived, and I'll never forget him. He was a very, very kind man. His name was Dr. McIncherry. Of course, he was sleepy, and he was standing in front of me, and he was, had looked at my chart. I was laying in the bed, and he said, um, okay, Mr. Brannon, now it says here, you know, we're going to do a laparoscopic appendectomy. He said, I've done this hundreds of times. You'll probably be home tomorrow afternoon. It takes about 30 minutes. Do you have any questions? And then he looked up suddenly and he said, he had seen it on the chart, you're a priest. And I said, I said, yes, I am. And he said, I'm supposed to call you father. And, and I said, well, yes. I said, priest, Catholics do call, address their priest as father. And he got very nervous and he started kind of going from one foot to another. And he said, well, he said, um, well, Father, he said, um, um, gosh, he said, I didn't know you were a priest. He said, I, I'm, I'm Muslim. And he said, my name's Dr. McIncherry. And I, but he said, I'm, uh, uh, do you have any questions? And I guess it was the Holy Spirit in that moment. I said, um, yes, I just have one question. Is there anything I can pray for you for? And of course, he got even a little bit more nervous, and he started bouncing back and forth. He, he was from foot to foot, and he said, Well, Father, I, I guess you could just pray that I do a good job on this surgery. I said, Well, I'll certainly pray for that. And he laughed, and then he said, Well, he looked around, and he said, Father, he said, My daughter is in eighth grade. This is her name. And she's being picked on horribly at school. She's crying herself to sleep every night. He said, Father, would you please pray for her and for my family? And I said, I absolutely will. And I did, prayed for her every day. Surgery went fine. About two weeks later, I was back for my post-op checkup. And when Dr. McIntyre walked in, I said, Doc, tell me about your daughter. I've been praying for her every day. How is she doing? Oh, Father, she's doing so much better. Thank you so much for your prayers. And for the next hour, he told me about his family. And he told me about his uh, you know, connections in Catholic schools and med schools and things like that growing up. And I remember thinking, I bet the other patients are not very happy right now that he's been here with me for an hour before we ever started talking about my surgery. But I was amazed at that one question, is there anything I can pray for you for, changed our relationship from doctor-patient to priest child of God. We are here to pray for God's people. And that one little question I recommend to you, that you ask people, is there anything I can pray for you for? 
St. John Vianney is the patron saint of all priests. And uh, his prayer, you know, he prayed for God's people night and day, heard their confessions. The story <clears throat> of a very worldly Paris, uh, a Paris lawyer, lawyer from Paris, France, who was very secular. He hadn't been to Mass in years. One weekend, he said, you know what? I think I'm going to get on the train. I'm going to go down to ours this weekend. I want to see that priest, they say, is a saint. And so his partners are like, why would you do that? You hadn't been to Mass in years. He said, I don't know. I just want to know. So he gets on the train that weekend. And um, anyway, he comes back on Monday. He's got his rosary beads hanging out. And he's been to confession. He's been to Mass. He's saying his prayers every day. His his, um, his partners were like, wow, what in the world did that priest say or do that, that has caused you to start practicing your Catholic faith after all these years? And the lawyer said, well, tell you the truth, I couldn't understand a word he said. He, he talked kind of like a hick, and he wasn't a good speaker. I really couldn't understand him. He said, it, it wasn't what he said. It was what I saw. I saw God in a man. And I want that. A holy priest can change the world. When he walks into a room, his presence changes the room. And as we teach our seminarians here, when a priest walks into a room, the whole room is supposed to rise in goodness. If they're telling a, a story they shouldn't be telling or a joke, they stop telling that story. And they look around. The priest is here. Say a priest uh, wears black for death, but he carries an Easter candle with him wherever he goes. What does that mean? It means that we bring the hope of Jesus Christ. I walk in oftentimes, and people of God, God bless them, you know, they worry about our country and about the future, you know, and about the church and all the things that are, Father, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I'll say, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, He's coming again in glory. You don't have to be successful. You just have to be faithful. When you sin, tell him you're sorry. Beg him. Pray. Do your work he's called you to do to build up the kingdom and trust him to save us. He loves us infinitely and he has infinite power. Isn't that wonderful? And we're all going to be dead soon. It's going to be over and we'll be with him in eternal happiness in heaven. Did you come for good news? It doesn't get any better than this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the answer to which every human heart is the question, says St. John Paul II. He is the answer to which every human heart is the question. He has already saved us. So when a priest walks into a room, everybody in that room, he's filled with faith, hope, and charity. And he brings that faith, hope, and charity. And everybody says, oh, so good, Father, I'm so glad. Uh, thanks for telling me that. I needed that, Father. We remind people that God is in control. I say to our seminarians, there's a reason why when you start, when you come to the seminary, you will pray seven to 10,000 hours before you are ordained a priest. Now, it has great shock value because they go, what? But it's also true. Every seminarian who comes is going to be in the seminary at least six years, maybe more, Right? Two years of pre-theology if they finished college. Four years of, of theology. If they're in a college seminary, they're going to do eight years in a seminary. And every day they're going to be praying, coming to Holy Mass. They're going to pray morning, you know, uh, uh, morning prayer and evening prayer. Right? 
and they're going to make a holy hour starting pretty soon. We don't require that immediately, but we encourage them pretty soon to start praying for an hour. They're going to pray their holy rosary, and um, they have many other devotions. They're going to pray at least two, maybe three hours a day, times 365 days a year, times six to eight years. They're going to easily pray seven to 10,000 hours. Why? Because God is doing heart surgery on them. That's why. Our hearts have to be circumcised to become like the heart of Christ. The priesthood is the love of the heart of Jesus, St. John Vianney says. The priesthood is the love of the heart of Jesus. Our hearts have to be configured to Christ's heart. And that requires prayer and suffering and study and patience. It takes a long time to become a priest. The first duty of a priest is to pray. And the second duty of a priest, according to the Second Vatican Council, the primum officium, the primary duty of a priest is to preach. I was surprised when I got to the seminary and learned that. I thought the primary duty would have been to offer the holy sacrifice of the Mass, and certainly that's a very important thing a priest does, but the church teaches the primum officium of the priest is to preach. That's what Jesus Christ commanded his disciples to do. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, and teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. That's what Jesus did. He preached the gospel, the good news, the kingdom of God as at hand. Sometimes men that are discerning priesthood, they're very upset. Well, I don't know if I can do that. I'm, I'm not a good speaker, and I think I'll be very nervous, and I'm a hypocrite. I'm, I don't want to be a hypocrite because I'm a sinner. Don't worry about that. Don't fear anything. Remember, if Jesus Christ, I say to our seminarians, if Jesus Christ wanted you to preach today, he would have had you in the seminary six years ago. But he's got you here today. He doesn't want you to preach today. He wants you to pray and prepare. He will have you ready when that day comes. Thirdly, though, when we say 90% of 90% is the, the statistic, 90% of Catholics who come to Mass receive 90% of their inspiration slash information from Sunday Mass. Most Catholics don't watch Catholic TV, they don't listen to Catholic radio, they don't read Catholic books, they don't come to the wonderful Bible studies offered by the parish. Most Catholics who come to Mass do one thing. They come to Mass. Therefore, that homily is a very important time where the priest connects with his people, preaches the good news. I always say two things every homily should include. Number one, God loves you infinitely and unconditionally. Do you have any idea how much he loves you? Every homily, we remind people of the central teaching of Christianity, the infinite, unconditional love of God for all of his children. And number two, I always mention, Jesus Christ is present in the Eucharist right there for you. The Eucharist is the source and summit of the Catholic faith. We become one body in Christ. We receive, we become what we eat. So, <clears throat> preaching, we have to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, we say, right? I always say to our men, look, do we, when we give a homily, do we preach to the strongest member present that day or the weakest, the one who's really struggling? The answer is both. We've got to preach to all of God's people there, and that's why we have to really pray. Do that Lectio Divina over that gospel. We have to pray before we preach. Certainly, what does a priest do? He offers the sacrifice of the Mass, 
As I said, St. John Paul II in Ecclesia de Eucharistia, he writes, and I quote, that every Eucharistic sacrifice is more powerful than all the evil in the world put together, unquote. Every time a priest offers the Holy Mass, it's a greater act of power. Jesus Christ offers himself again to God the Father. God the Father accepts us because we are through him, with him, in him. We are not acceptable without him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Without Jesus, we're nothing. He is everything. We're nothing. So we become one with him in heart, mind, soul, and body. We receive his body and blood. We become his heart and our hearts. His soul and our soul are one. His, body, his blood is in our veins. His body is in us. And his divinity fills us completely and the bridge is complete, which enables us to go to heaven. To be one with Jesus. That's why people love their priests. Because priests feed people with the body and the blood of Christ, the medicine of immortality. What is the greatest miracle Jesus Christ ever did? People will say, oh, um, the raising of Lazarus or the, the uh, changing of water into wine. Pick any miracle you want. There's only one miracle that promises you will live forever, and that is the miracle of the Mass. When Jesus Christ offers himself to the Father and changes that bread and wine into his body and blood, he says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, what? you will live forever. No other miracle promises you will live forever. Only the Eucharist. Lazarus, God bless him, he had to die a second time when Jesus raised him. But if you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you will live forever. So the Eucharist, the Mass, the sacrifice of the Mass is a huge part of what we do. What else did Jesus Christ command? He commanded us to baptize in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As a young priest, only about you know, a couple of months ordained, <clears throat> I was called to the hospital once for an emergency baptism. And the baptism was two little baby girls and they were hardly bigger than my hand. They were very, very premature. I'll never forget, they were African-American. I never met the mother. She was passing through. She wasn't a member of the parish. There was no father in the picture. But she was a Catholic, and her little babies were being born prematurely, and they were way too little to survive. Their names were Sasha and Sabrina. I'll never forget their names. And I went into the neonatal intensive care unit. I had to put all the the um, <clears throat> protective garments on in the mass, and with a, a medicine dropper, three drops of water. This young Catholic, uh, uh, woman said, I want my babies to be Catholic. I said, do you reject Satan? I do. And all his works, I do. And all his empty promises, I do. I asked her her baptismal promises. She said, yes, I do believe that. And I said, Sasha, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Three little drops of water. And I baptized Sabrina in the same way, and then I went back to work. And the nurse called me later that afternoon to say that both of the little girls had died and the mother had gone. She had left town. 
I still think about Sasha and Sabrina. They're in heaven right now. And I asked them to pray for me. I'm so grateful that I was a priest, that I had the, the privilege of doing a part with Jesus to bring those children to heaven. Going, my first assignment was down in a very country town called Albany, Georgia. And um, there was only one Catholic church in Albany, Georgia, and myself and the pastor, we were the only priests there. And uh, one, this really came across to me one day when I drove through a McDonald's uh, to get a, a iced tea. And it was a hot day. Of course, I was in my collar and I drove through the McDonald's and the young girl behind the window, when she looked, she saw that I was in a Roman collar. And she said, are you a priest? In wonderment. And I said, yes, I said, I am. She said, a real Catholic priest. And I said, yes, I said, I'm a real Catholic priest. And of course, I'm thinking, I'm looking, I feel like I'm at the zoo, you know. And she then turns around and she says to the people working in there, hey, y'all come over here. There's a real Catholic priest out here. Well, I started laughing, you know, and they all started crowding around the window and looking at me, you know. And after she had given me my tea, she said, I've never met a, a real Catholic priest. She said, Father, I'm supposed to say Father, right? Please pray for me. And I said, I will pray for you. I asked her name. And then as I was driving away, I said, God bless you. And I remember hearing her turn and say, He said, God bless you. And I remember driving away, thinking to myself, Oh my word. I am the face of the Catholic Church in this town. Myself and the pastor were the only two priests here. I have to treat people with love and kindness. I have to bring them to Jesus because I represent the Catholic Church. Visiting hospitals, prisons, teaching children in our school. I loved always visiting our children and teaching them about Christ. Um, you know, the hardest thing to do is to bring your theology down to the level of kindergarten or pre-K. That's when we really see if we know our theology. Often with my little pre-K children, um, trying to bring the great news of Jesus to their level, you know, one of the things I'll always say to the pre-K children, I would say, complete my sentence. I said, God is very, very, and I would do like this, and the children would say, strong. And then I would say, he loves you very, very. And the children, would they were taught, they would put their hands across and they would say, much. And I would say, therefore you are very, very. And they would look at me. They didn't know what to say. And I would say, you are very, very safe. If God is very, very strong, and he is, and he loves you very, very much. You're safe in his hands. Don't be afraid, but stay close to Jesus. Loving trust, total surrender, and joy. There is no average day in the life of a priest. That's what I love about it. I've never been bored as a priest. You know, every day is different. Sure, I get up early and, and I pray for an hour and I pray my divine office, my holy hour, and then I celebrate Mass before I go to my office. And then a day could be anything from marriage preparations to a funeral, visiting the hospital, teaching the children. We have some administrative work that we have to do, uh, preparing homilies, uh, 
all of these kinds of things. But I've had to say mass on a great ship that had been arrested off the coast of Savannah. I had to take a, uh, this was a boat, a ship that uh, basically the owner had not paid his mortgage. And so his ship had been confiscated by the bank. They were a mile off the shore. And there were about 30 sailors. Most of them were from the Philippines. They were Catholics. They didn't have immigration status. They couldn't come in. So they were stuck on that ship for six months waiting for a new owner to buy the ship. And so I went out regularly and I would climb up the rope ladder on the side of the ship. They would pull my mass kit up and I would celebrate mass and hear confessions on a ship a mile off the, the coast of Savannah. And so I've given benediction off the roof of a hospital because of COVID-19. You know, they wouldn't allow the priest to come in, but the poor nurses and doctors were working themselves to the bone trying to take care of God's people. They needed spiritual support. And so I brought the Blessed Sacrament to the roof of the hospital, and we gave benediction, and we blessed the whole hospital, every patient with the body and blood of Jesus. Every time I, I get on a plane, I fly a lot because of... Um, giving retreats and things. Um, every time I get on a plane, I have a personal uh, uh, devotion that I'll pray my rosary for the holiness and the salvation of every person on that plane. I don't know who's on that plane. I don't know their names. I don't know anything about their faith. But I said, when every time I get on that plane, it's so funny when a priest gets on a plane, people, oh, Father, so glad you're on the plane. Like the plane's not going down because I'm on it, right? But God bless them. They have faith. They believe in the goodness of the priesthood. And I pray that rosary on every plane for, that, for the people's holiness and salvation. Why? I'll never see them again, maybe until heaven. But the first duty of a priest is to pray. And these are the people God has placed in my path, and I'm going to pray for them for their holiness and salvation. This is what priests do. What a wonderful life. The life of a priest has eternal consequences. What we do helps people live forever. Baptism, the Holy Eucharist, preaching, teaching. It gives people happiness because Jesus is the answer to which every human heart is the question. Now, what is the theology of priesthood? First of all, you can't call yourself to be a priest. God calls people to become priests. God calls men to be priests. And you can't call yourself or it'll be a disaster. You have to discern, is God calling me to this? And understanding what the sacrament of holy orders is. It is the only sacrament that has three levels, right? Deacon, priest, and bishop. And we have to be ordained, each of those in ascending order, right? I have to be a, a transitional deacon before I could be ordained a priest, and a bishop has to be a priest before he can be ordained a bishop. And the Catholic Church teaches that when a man is ordained, when the bishop lays his hands on that man's head, there's an ontological change, change at the level of being in his soul. There's an indelible mark stamped in his soul. He is configured to Jesus Christ as head of the church. So when you were baptized you are configured to Christ as body, as part of the body of Christ. But when you're ordained a priest, you come around the altar, and then you're reconfigured to Christ as head of the church, in persona Christi, capitis ecclesia. You now function in the person of Christ, the head of the church. 
That's why when a priest says Mass, he doesn't say Jesus said this is his body. He says, this is my body in the person of Christ. It is Jesus Christ who is offering that Mass. When he says, he doesn't say Jesus baptizes you. He says, I baptize you in the name of the Father. A priest stands in the place of Christ and he functions in his person. He is given a sacra potestas, a sacred power. And it is a tremendous power to wash away sins and to change the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ, to bring people to Jesus and Jesus to people in ways no one else can. And that's not clericalism or elitism. It's the way Jesus Christ established the priesthood. No one can bring people to Christ like a priest. What a tremendous honor and privilege it is to be a priest. Holy priests make a big difference. Don J.B. Chotard in the book, The Soul of the Apostolate, he said, if the priest is a saint, the people will be good. If the people is good, the people will be average. If the, if the priest is good, the people will be average. If the priest is average, the people will be poor. If the priest is poor, the people will be godless. How a priest lives his priesthood makes a big difference, doesn't it? You know that. When you see a holy priest who, who prays, who's kind, who works for God's people, it can make a huge difference, uh, even um, in addition to, of course, the ontological change. So we want to remember the good news. Priests are called to work hard. St. Ignatius said, work as if it all depends on you. Pray as if it all depends on God. It really does all depend on God. We have to work hard, but it's still everything God does. It's 99.9% God's grace. Jesus is the Savior of the world. We have to have faith in him. Pope Francis uh, wrote uh, very interestingly about there's two kinds of shepherds, talking about two kinds of priests, both of them not good. And he says the first one is the priest who stands in the pulpit and he proclaims you know, a teaching that adultery is a mortal sin. If you do this, you're going to go to hell or whatever the issue is. This is a mortal sin. If you do this, you're going to go to hell. And then he immediately leaves the church, goes into the rectory, and closes the door. He doesn't interact with the people. But he said then on the other extreme, there's an equally bad shepherd. And that's the one who stands up out of a misplaced compassion and says, oh, don't worry about that sin. Don't worry about that sin. It doesn't really matter. Remember, Jesus is merciful. It doesn't really matter. Don't tell that child of God sin doesn't matter. The wages of sin is death and suffering. Sin is horrible. Never say it's okay. The purpose of a priest is to bring the fullness of truth, and truth is not just a philosophy. It's a person named Jesus, and he is the truth, as if there were no other. There is no other besides him. And then he says, that priest says, it doesn't, it's not a sin, it's not a sin. And he goes into the rectory. And Pope Francis says, the real priest speaks the truth with kindness, and then he walks with his people in their mess. He goes with people as they struggle with sin and addiction and uh, temptations or whatever. He walks with them to Calvary. And I say to our seminarians all the time, the purpose of a priest is to walk with people to Calvary. Why? Because anything that happened to Jesus has to happen to us. 
We have to walk with Jesus to Calvary. And, um, and, and oftentimes that means suffering. People don't usually just call me when I'm a pastor. They don't usually call me and say, hey, Father Brandon, just call in to say the wife is great, kids are great, life is good, just call in to let you know that. They, people don't do that. They call me and they say, Father, my wife has just left me and my son is a, a cocaine addict or I've just lost my job and we can't pay our bills. People call their priests when they go to Calvary. And God has ordained the priesthood so that we will walk with these people and remind them, don't give up on Jesus. He loves you. He loves you when good things happen. He loves you when bad things happen. This is the Paschal mystery. We have to die with him. That's so why we can rise with him. Suffering stretches our hearts, doesn't it? We say two things that stretch the human heart, mental prayer and suffering. Guess which one I'd like to recommend to you first? Mental prayer and suffering. And St. Augustine wrote, God has deemed it better to permit evil and to bring good from it than to banish it altogether. Of course, one day when Jesus comes again on the clouds of heaven, it will be banished. But God has deemed it better to permit evil and suffering and to bring good from it. What is the greatest evil in the history of the world? The crucifixion, torture, the death of the infinite Holy Son of God. And what did God do with that evil? The resurrection. He opened the gates of heaven. The salvation of the human race. If God can bring good from that evil, He can bring good from the evil and the suffering in your life. And so as priests, we've got, we can't be scandalized by sin and by, by the problems that people have. We have to get out there and walk with them. But always tell them the truth, love them, and bring them to Jesus. The fullness of the sacramental life of the church. Every priest can stands in the pulpit every Sunday. And of course, you kind of get to know people. You know, that family with the six stair-step children sits in that pew, and, and that little couple sits over there, and people kind of have their habits. You know, they, they know where they're going to sit. <clears throat> in one of my parishes, there was a, a young boy. It was an African-American parish, predominantly. And, um, but there was one young man that would come. He probably maybe 20 years old. And I, could, I knew that he was on the street. He had tattoos all over his face and his hands, and he had piercings around his face. And, uh, but he was a very pleasant. I knew that he was an addict. He had shared that with me. And he would once in a while, he'd show up for confession. And once in a while, he'd show up for mass. But then I wouldn't see him for a while. And one day, I was giving the homily. And I looked out, and I, and I saw the young man. I hadn't seen him in a while. And he was staring at me as I was giving the homily. And at the end of the mass, I, I was standing out front. And again, all these sweet little African-American ladies who were very faithful at Mass, were waiting in line to say hello to the priest, you know. And all of a sudden I turned, and he's standing in front of me, and he says with excitement, Father, you're here! And he just grabs me and hugs me. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm a Catholic priest, it's Sunday morning, I'm the pastor of this parish, where else would I be? And he stops and he looks at me and he said, Father, he says, you haven't seen me in a while, have you? And I looked at him, I said, well, no, I haven't actually. He said, Father, he starts making a public confession out loud with all the little ladies standing right behind him. Oh, Father, he said, I've been bad. He said, I've been taking drugs and I've been smoking coke. And he said, and I've been having sex with men and women. And of course, all my little ladies were 
were embarrassed and they were putting their heads down. And he said, Father, he said, I woke up this morning. I felt horrible about what I did last night. He said, God spoke to me, Father. God said, you go down there to St. Peter Claver Church. Father Brandon will be there. And he said, and you're here. And he hugged me again. And he said, I'll see you at confession, Father. And he walked away. And the words of the sacred liturgy came pouring back to me. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. That young man did not have confidence in his faith, but he did have confidence in mine. He knew the church door would be open, the priests would be there, the gospel would be preached, the mass would, the sacrifice of the mass would be offered. And I remember thinking to myself, Jesus, please just always let me be at my battle station. Just let me be here faithfully so that when God's people come, wherever they are spiritually, the door will be opened and I can welcome them and bring them the healing, the grace of Jesus. Yes, a priest has to be like a fireman, you know. Firemen, they don't have to be doing something every single uh, second of the day. They have to be ready to go when they're needed. So they do things to keep themselves strong and make sure everything is prepared. Well, priests have to do that too. We have to pray. We have to care for ourselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually so that when we're called, we're able to go to God's people and to be able to be with them Holy Spirit, this is where the sacrament of holy orders really, we study hard, we learn what we need to learn, but when we walk into a room where someone's son has just died from suicide, the Holy Spirit helps us to be with that family, to comfort them, and to care for them. Post-Christian culture we live in now means the priesthood is going to be different. What does post-Christian mean? Well, it means that most people to whom, with whom we interact as priests, most people in the general culture are no longer Christian. They're not, to, they're not going to have been raised to understand that Christmas is about Jesus, Easter is about Jesus, Halloween is about the day before All Saints Day. They're not going to know those things. They're not going to know that every university and every hospital was originally founded by the Catholic Church. They're not going to know any of those things. They're going to say, Jesus who? And our job as priests is to continue to bring them the good news in whatever way we have to in this post-Christian culture. And that requires prayers and, and, and study, doesn't it? But the Holy Spirit is always going to be there because the church, the gates of hell, will not prevail against her. I love being a priest. I said that last night. I love being a priest. There's no greater work, that, no greater vocation that God could call you to. And if he's calling you to be a priest, I can promise you that if you live your life, do what you're taught in the seminary, and if you pray, study, I can promise you that it is a tremendously fulfilling life. In heaven, when you see me, you, even if you didn't know me on earth, You'll see my soul and you'll say, you were a priest on earth. 
And I say, yes, I was. Because you see, that's a, an indelible mark. It doesn't end with death. When a man is ordained a priest, he is a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So this is what priests do. And this is what priesthood is. And I hope you'll really pray that prayer of abandonment. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. God has a plan for your happiness. If you're not called to be a priest, do what he tells you. Every year when, when, when men come to the end of the semester or the end of the year, they will come to me and there'll be a handful that will say, Father, I need to tell you, and I've discerned that I, I'm not going to come back to the seminary next year. I don't think God's calling me to be a priest. And I always say to them, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for saying yes to come to the seminary by obeying God. And I'm proud of you for saying yes when you leave the seminary, if that's what God has called you to do and you've made that discernment carefully and correctly. I'm not here to talk you into being a priest. I'm here to invite you to do the perfect will of God for your life. Happiness is to do the will of God. I wish you happiness. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Amen.